come among us with peace and love, with grace and joy. Give your comfort and your challenge to our lives as we need it. Help us to see your face and to hear your voice and to know your spirit in the stories of Jesus. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O oh Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Jesus' Disciples is a story I remember clearly from childhood Sunday school. I remember coloring and pasting and moving around the felt pieces on the board that included sandals and boats and fishing nets. I remember those words from an older Bible translation, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. When I remember a story as a Sunday school favorite of mine, that is usually a warning to me. I am probably remembering through a simple lens a story that might have been much more complicated than I knew as a third grader. When I reread the story today, I look closely for those complexities and open-ended questions that lived in the pages of the story. And today's story does not disappoint. The Gospel of Mark is a little more than half as long as the other three accounts of Jesus' life in Matthew and Luke and John. That is to say that Mark is economical with his words. In what he does include, every bit of it counts. Mark does not choose to begin his story with lengthy accounts of the birth or the childhood of Jesus. Instead, he goes right to the arrival of Jesus' ministry through the words of the prophet who came before Jesus, John the Baptist. Mark tells us John appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In 13 tightly crafted verses in Mark chapter 1, Mark introduces John. He tells the story of him baptizing Jesus in the River Jordan and tells us how after that baptism, Jesus went to the wilderness where he was tempted. In chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus returns from the wilderness and begins his ministry. Mark, who does not waste any words, introduces the calling of the disciples by tying it back to John the Baptist. Now, he says, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. My Sunday school memories of this Bible story do not include the arrest of John the Baptist. We had no felt board representations of John being shackled and dragged off to prison. But that is where Mark begins. Mark assures us that this is not an idyllic story about some fishermen and their teacher, but rather a complicated story about oppressed people trying to find a better life under the tyranny of an evil king. Herod was one of the most ruthless and immoral
prison for criticizing him. John's arrest is not only a statement about historical context, it is a warning about personal discipleship. Speaking up for Jesus, as John did, may land you in situations where you did not want to be. It is no accident that this is how Mark introduces the calling of the disciples. The arrest of John reminds us that this well-known story of the calling of the disciples is about real people, complicated people, and the situations in which they found themselves. So let's consider for a moment who these people might have been. Jesus finds Simon and Andrew, James and John, as he is passing by the Sea of Galilee. They were fishermen. Now fishing, for many folks, is a pleasurable hobby. It's right up there with golf or camping. Sermons on this story are full of fun stories about fishing that draw upon things like patience for the big catch or finding God in the beauty of nature. But this is not a story of a pleasant afternoon in the boat with your buddies. Simon and Andrew, James and John, these are working people. This is basic subsistence, paycheck to paycheck kind of fishing, where survival was dependent upon a lot of hard work and a little bit of luck. And Jesus comes up to them and he says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. We are not given enough detail to know if they had been having a good day or a bad day on the water. We don't know if they had been fairly comfortable lately or if they were on the verge of starvation. We don't know if Jesus made this offer to people who were reasonably happy or who knew that they had nothing to lose. Perhaps we are supposed to assume that any one of those things might have been true. What we do know is that they went with Jesus. Immediately, it says, and without any hesitation, they followed him. They could not say no. They had to follow. Their willingness to follow is even more interesting when you consider the poor marketing strategy used by Jesus. As I've mentioned, the personal experience of John the Baptist wasn't exactly a selling point. Following Jesus might get you arrested or worse. But additionally, both John the Baptist and Jesus hint that following is not going to be easy. They offer no image of an attractive outcome. Compare this to how invitations are usually offered when the marketing strategy is good. With Jesus, it's different. Jesus doesn't say, follow me. I've got all the good stock tips. Jesus doesn't say, follow me. I can help you to lose the weight and keep it off. Jesus doesn't say, follow me. I've got five easy steps to spiritual fulfillment. No, Jesus says, follow me, for the time is right to repent. Both John and Jesus make a point
point of saying that they are calling people to repentance, which is a word that means to turn around. The call is to do the hard work of looking at who you have been or the situation in which you find yourself and admitting that it is time for a change. The big news of this past week was, of course, the inauguration. Given the events of not only the past two weeks, but at least the past two decades, it is clear that a willingness to repent and go a new direction is going to be necessary if our democracy is going to survive. The increasingly combative and vindictive behavior of our politics must come to an end, or it is going to destroy us. In your own life, your own personal life, I wonder if there is a situation that is similarly in need of repentance, a move in a new direction. Perhaps it has to do with a destructive habit or an addiction. Maybe it's a way you've been conducting yourself in a relationship. Possibly there is something about your priorities that needs a wholesale reorientation, or as Jesus called it, repentance. Repentance can be public. It can also be personal. Sometimes it's both. Because of the personal and public dimensions of this call to repentance, there was a particular theme in the inauguration that caught my attention. I'm drawn to it because it is not so political. It's about our new president, but it is an observation that was made by Gerald Seib, who writes for the Wall Street Journal. On Wednesday evening, Seib wrote this. Over the last five decades, Joe Biden endured multiple human tragedies and saw his political obituary written over and over again, yet always found a way to pick up the pieces and move forward. On Wednesday, he was inaugurated as the nation's 46th president and proceeded to tell the nation it could do the same, pick up the pieces and move forward. Saib went on to state clearly that Biden, who has lost a wife, a daughter, and a son, faces one of the great tests of his life as he enters this presidency. Regardless of your political leanings, that seems like an accurate read of the situation. It's also, I think, a good read of what is required in each of our personal and public lives in order to thrive. From time to time, we all have to take stock of who we have been, grieve the ways that we have failed, and change directions if we seek to move forward. I joked a little about the fact that Jesus' offer to the disciples wasn't all that attractive, that he didn't market it well. But there's more to it than that. Even though we are often drawn to things that look easy or look convenient, we also know that there is great appeal to a challenge. We love the idea that we might rise to the occasion, overcome great odds, confront an intractable problem, and work toward a solution. It's not always an easy way, 
but it's the right way. What business, what church, what community doesn't grow stronger by assessing its past and asking how it can grow stronger? Who among us has not been inspired by another person who has learned from their past mistakes? This was the attractiveness of Jesus' message. It was how he fished for people and how he inspired them to do likewise. As a church, there are countless ways we can be challenged like this. We can give thanks for the ways in which we've always fished for people, and we can be inspired to think about new ways we might take up that task tomorrow. Our congregational care ministries nurture our members and friends with care and love. But they also invite people to consider how they might change, how they might go deeper in their walk of faith. Our music ministries, they draw people into the beauty and majesty of God through the gift of music. And we are challenged to think about ways we can use these gifts to reach more and more people and help them to deepen their faith. Our racial justice ministry has acknowledged sins of our past, but it does not do so to paralyze us with guilt. That doesn't solve anything. But to call us to a future that is not so segregated and not so unjust, that is the purpose. In the days to come, our new Breaker Angels ministry will welcome Knox members to ask how all of us can play a part in picking up the divisive pieces of our public life so that we can move forward together. With all the talk of politics lately, I want to continue to remind you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is so much bigger than our politics. Yes, Jesus did have things to say about Herod and about plenty of unjust rulers and authorities in his day. But he did not place his trust or his hope in any of them. The idea that the kingdom of God can be compared to anything in American politics makes a mockery of our faith. John and Jesus both proclaimed the kingdom of God. They said the time is at hand for it now. The kingdom of God is one of the most important metaphors in Jesus' ministry. It occurs 98 times in the Gospels. Jesus describes the kingdom of God as a pearl of great price, or as a treasure hidden in a field. He calls it a net that can be thrown into the sea so that it can catch fish of every kind. This is Jesus' good news for us. In repentance, the willingness to follow him and to be willing to go a new way, we can discover the kingdom of God at hand. If we follow Jesus... We can embrace the challenges that will bring us richness and vitality in ways we have never imagined. May it be so for you today.